Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on a Thursday afternoon. And as always, since it is the noon hour, before we start our show, let's go ahead and start praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, that grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, welcome to the clinic. Hopefully we will have a great show for you today. I'm excited about today's show. Today's show is going to be... Um, really focused on our Catholic lives and our mental health. Um, And it's going to be on the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments and see kind of one by one, and sometimes they're in a group, of course, because we can group a few of them together. Uh, They're very similar in terms of what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to guide our lives. But really look at the Ten Commandments and what can happen to us from a mental health perspective um, if we don't follow them or if we fall into these sins, um, and really more than anything, as we talk about this, something that should inspire us to, if we are falling into a particular sin of any type, to lift ourselves up and get to confession right away so that we can be healthy mentally, spiritually, and physically. But before we get started on our show, um, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up here at uh, the Sacred Heart Chapel. We're going to have a few conferences coming up August 7th. It's going to be the Sex and Honor Conference. It's going to be a great conference. I really uh, advise if you can come as couples, it's really good because we can talk. What we're going to be talking about is what does our faith teach us about sex? How is it incorporated or why is it part of the sacrament of marriage? Um, What does it mean for us as to what are we supposed to talk about when it comes to sex? What are we supposed to teach our children? Um, How do we feel when we hear the word sex? Is it something that brings us a sense of honor that we are uh, following God's path and that we are uh, sharing in the creation process with God? Or is it something that brings us shame and something that we feel we're not supposed to talk about? We're going to have a couple of great speakers uh, join me. You know, hopefully my talks will be inspirational for you um, and can give us a sense of 
hopefully get closer as married couples. But we're also going to have uh, Cherie Ballinger from uh, one of the producers of Roe vs. Wade talking to us about the importance of how we portray morality and class in Hollywood, in our films, and how we can bring that back. And we're going to have Mary Danielle Barber here speaking to us on Theology of the Body based on John Paul II's theology. What a great talk that's going to be in terms of how we should think about our bodies, what God really intended for for us and our bodies, and why there should be no shame, and instead we should have honor when it comes to that. Important topics to talk about. So that's going to be here August 7th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. You can go to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Um, to sign up for that. There's going to be another conference coming up after that in September. We're lucky we're going to be having a women's conference. And for that conference, it's going to be Father Muir, Father Stephen, and again, Mary Danielle giving us some wonderful talks. The title of that conference is True Devotion to St. Joseph. I think that's wonderful, especially in the year of St. Joseph. And as we're talking about sex and a women's conference and the family and St. Joseph, it's all going to make good Catholic sense. Um, I think that I'm looking forward to both of those conferences and hopefully some of you will be here and we can uh, meet in person and talk and and have a great uh, um, uh, time here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Well, today's show, um, a little bit different than other shows in terms of um, mental health, because what I really want to look into is not so much, you know, a particular case of mental health. Sometimes I do my coffee and therapy corner uh, where I bring up cases, but I want to go through and look at what happens, what are these Ten Commandments really telling us, you know, God put out the Ten Commandments and, and said, you know, I need you to follow these. And a lot of times when we hear the Ten Commandments, we feel like a groan internally. We're like, oh God, I got to examine my conscience. All the Ten Commandments, if I read the Ten Commandments, all they're going to do is tell me how bad I am and how, you know, I can't follow them and how they seem impossible. And I'm never going to make it to heaven, so why even try? So it can actually, unfortunately, give people a sense of hopelessness, when in reality, I think God was really putting these Ten Commandments not so much to tell us what to do or not do, but to tell us who we are and how different things are going to affect our lives because of who we are, because we are his children. And if you do any of these things, it's going to separate you from your royalty, from your honor, from your dignity, and from your potential uh, inheritance of divinity. It really is more of a sense of, you know, you're somebody who's going to inherit divinity. You got to kind of act that way. And these are the the pitfalls. These are the things that might not make you uh, reach that goal, that crown. The other thing is, when it comes to that, so if we do fall uh, into one of these uh, commandments, if we do fall into sin, which all of us do, from a mental health perspective, we got to wonder, what is that going to do to us? Because a lot of people come to me and they feel that they're depressed or anxious and things of that nature. And lo and behold, they might not be living the most Catholic lives. Um, and you got to wonder how much of that is going to play uh, into our conscience, into our uh, sense of self-worth, into our sense of guilt. And all these things can easily be blown off by secular society where they could say, oh, that doesn't matter or it's not a sin. Well, they don't get to decide. You know, we don't get to decide what is a sin or not. God decided that for us. But first, let's take a little look at the Ten Commandments. Let's read through them a little bit and see where they fall in the Bible. I want to actually read them from the Bible. I know that we can read them and go through the, the usual, you know, the first commandment is thou shalt honor God. And we'll do that. We'll do that down the road as we uh, try to compare and see how do these uh, Ten Commandments pair up or how do they line up with potential mental illness. But what I want to do first is read through the Bible and see where we even find these. So the Ten Commandments, rightfully so, are in the book of Exodus. And what's going on in Exodus is what we've got to remember. You know, why Why in the book of Exodus do we have Ten Commandments? 
Because all of a sudden, we got to go back and remember that this is after the Passover, right? So shall we say, kind of like an original uh, a symbolic foretelling of communion coming up when Moses was told to sacrifice a lamb so that they could get out of slavery, the Israelites can get out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. But they had to do that with a sacrificial lamb. And then once they did that, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and God gives them the Ten Commandments that the Israelites are supposed to follow. Why? Because they are now a freed people from slavery and they want to remain free from slavery. All of a sudden they got to follow these guidelines. It's kind of like being in the woods and somebody tells you, hey, you know, you were stuck in the woods. I'm going to get you out of there. I'll bring a boat. I'll bring something down the river, the lake, or, you know, I'm going to bring a caravan of people to save you. But now that you've been saved here, I got to give you a, a survival manual so that you understand what you got to do in case you find yourself trapped again, because you might fall back into the woods. If you find yourself back in slavery, uh, these are the things that might get you there and you got to know how to get out. So in reality, the 10 commandments are more of a guideline. They're kind of more of a survival uh, guideline of to how, how to avoid being under the chains and shackles of sin, which then, you know, puts us under the, the, uh, puts us under the fallen angels, right? Under their command, unfortunately, is the consequence of sin. So let's look at this. This is Exodus chapter 20. Of course, the Israelites are already saved and they are uh, now in the desert. Moses goes up Mount Sinai and this is what happens. Uh, and the Lord spoke these words. I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me that shall not make to thyself a graven thing nor the likeness of a thing that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath nor of those things that are in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not adore them, nor serve them. I am the Lord thy God, mighty, jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. Thou shalt take the name of the Lord his God in vain." Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor and shalt thou and shall do all thy work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work on it, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy beast, nor thy the stranger that is within thy gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thou mayest be long lived upon the land which the Lord thy God will give thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, neither shalt thou desire his wife, nor his servant, nor his handmaid, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his." All the people saw the voice and the flames and the sound of the trumpet and the most and the mount smoking and being terrified and struck with fear, they stood afar off. So that was, you know, that's it. That's the Ten Commandments. That's right there. It's pretty impressive when you read them from the Bible. Um, that's chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 18 that I just read. It's important to read them that way because we see that, you know, the first three commandments, we kind of just kind of take for granted and say, well, you know, love God, don't take his name, name, name in vain, and, um, you know, go to Mass on Sundays. But a little bit more involved here when we read in the Bible, God kind of explains those a little bit more. 
When we come back from the break, we're going to go through these, break them down and see what can happen to us as far as our mental health and how can we avoid those pitfalls. More to come after the break here on the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. All right, welcome back here to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Clinic. Um, Today we are talking about the 10 commandments and what they mean for us as far as our mental health and what can happen if we do not follow these commandments. Remember, God gave us, God gave Moses the commandments, right? To give to the people of Israel. Um, And he gave it to them after the, or in the book of Exodus, after they were freed from the clutches of Pharaoh. Um, You know, they cross the Red Sea, they get into the desert, they're headed towards the promised land. And God says, you got to follow these rules, not because you're bad people, but because you're actually very, very good people. You're destined for something very great. And you don't want to run into these pitfalls because the first thing you got to understand is that you're very, very good people because I made you good people because you can't forget that I am your creator and you can't forget that you are not God. You got to know your place. You can't let that narcissism uh, get in the way. And really that's what happens with the first commandment. We got to look at these, uh, actually the first three commandments. We always say the first three commandments are broken up into, you know, those pertain to God. And then the commandments four through 10 really pertain to our neighbors. Okay. So we got to look at it and we can look at it in that way. And that's great. But what happens if we don't follow these commandments where the first commandment was, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land and excuse me, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage that shall not have strange gods before me. Thou shall not make to thyself a graven thing, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, nor of those things that are in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not adore them, nor serve them. I am the Lord thy God, mighty, jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and shewing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So that's actually the whole first commandment right there. It's not just simply, you know, I'm the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. It's you shall not make any graven images. You shall not serve anybody else. So no matter what else you hear out there, you can only serve me. Um, And he, God actually tells us a little bit about himself or actually a lot about himself in this commandment. He's telling us he is mighty, jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children upon the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. So his, he's got a, you know, we say in the old Testament, God, the father has a vengeful wrath and showing mercy upon thousands to them that love me and keep my commandments. It's interesting because we can say, well, God's telling us where his weaknesses are. Um, you know, he's mighty, but he's jealous and isn't jealousy a weakness. Don't we say jealousy is a bad thing? Depends on how you look at it. You know, if you look at righteous jealousy, it's kind of like a husband and a wife. And if there's any adulterous affair or something like that, you can say, no, they had every right to be jealous because they had a covenant. They had a promise to each other. This husband and wife had promised each other that they were going to be with each other. And so if one of them deviates, the other person has a very righteous jealousy that they say, hey, you're breaking my commandment. If God is a jealous God, then he's telling us that, hey, we have this covenant. And if you go worship other gods, you are breaking our covenant and I have a right to be jealous. 
such as a spouse would be. Isn't that what we talk about when we talk about communion and we talk about the crucifixion and then we say that Christ married the church um, at that point, right? And we say that, you know, we are the betrothed and Christ is the bridegroom. So he has, uh, as we understand, a marriage type relationship uh, in a spiritual sense, but he has every right to be jealous. So it's important to remember that because if we break that first commandment, where all of a sudden I'm going to turn to a horoscope instead of turning to prayer. If I'm going to serve, uh, you know, uh, my psychic because I'm going to go over to talk to the psychic or I'm going to talk to a curandero because I think they're going to know better than God. It's like you're cheating on God, right? And so all of a sudden it's like, I know better. In fact, I'm better than God. And in fact, I'm better than this relationship is really what I'm saying. I think that there'd be a better relationship elsewhere when God is saying, how could you possibly say that? This is the only relationship you can have. I made you, I am your God. So what happens when we fall into that type of sin. Well, let's go through the first three and we can see where the similarities would be as far as our thought process, our mental health, if that were to happen. You know, so in the first one, we got to remember, if we start to worship a graven image, if we start to care about making sure that my car is in really good shape, um, and I don't even go to mass because I need to take make sure that my car got waxed. You know, I need to, I can't go to mass because I have to look at my, you know, collection of whatever it is I have at home and make sure that I get the next piece for my collection. You know, I have to, uh, I've got this, this uh, TV show that I'm really into and it's a series and they only come on at certain times. So I can't make it, you know, to God, I can't pray because I'm tired. And all of a sudden I, I put God to the side. It's like, you know, it's a breakup with God. It's like cheating on God because God is saying, you got to put me first before everything else. So if you want your life to go well, you know, this is, you got to understand who you are. You and I are in this relationship. And if you break that, things might not go so well for you. We're going to come back to how this could affect us in our, as far as our mental health. Our second one is the name of God, right? So he says, thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that shall take the name of the Lord his God in vain. Well, that's an important one. And we say, well, sure, you know, we shouldn't swear and we shouldn't, uh, you know, in lots of movies where we all of a sudden people will use the name of Jesus Christ as an expression, as an expletive, you know, and things of that nature. Obviously, that that's very obvious, right? We take the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. But why? What, what's so important about the name of the Lord, our God? That is where we get our honor. You know, this is where we should, that should be our title. I am a son of God. That should be the only title we care about. And so sometimes I think taking the name of the Lord, our God, in vain, not only does it mean that we shouldn't swear or that we shouldn't, you know, uh, use God's name inappropriately, that's obvious. And that's, of course, what we need to think about. But the other thing to think about is how many times do we really focus on having specific titles? How many times do we, you know, people on their uh, social media pages, uh, they put down on their that they are everything and anything. And, and, you know, it's like, they are not enough, right? All of a sudden they are a speaker. They are a uh, retreat leader. They are a, you know, spiritual counselor. They are, you know, they put all these titles on there. Um, and you, I got to wonder who verified this. How do you know, are you, you know, a life coach? Well, what does that mean that you're a life coach? You coach people's lives. You tell them what to do. Well, what gives you that authority? How are you, how is that, you know, what gives you the authority to be a counselor? Is it a title? Is it something academic? Is it something that you earn? And even then, you know, the academics and the learn, a lot of times we put our titles everywhere. And we, do we actually say, 
you know, these are the talents that God gave me. These titles don't mean anything. It's what God uh, inspired me to do or showed me that I was good at doing these things. It's like St. Paul says, I take no glory in what I do, save for Jesus Christ who works through me. So it's no longer us who is who are doing things, and we should kind of see things that way. I think that that's what we really got to think about when we say, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't give yourself these titles without recognizing where they came from or giving God the praise and glory behind them. Um, so that's important too, you know, in terms of the second one, don't, uh, take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. Don't assume that you're doing things and you're doing things in your own name or because you decided you've got to remember God is the one who put that there or God is the one who gave us the power, the inspiration, and he's what gives us the breath of life to be able to, uh, move forward in life and earn our titles, uh, that we put by our names, which he gives us the power to do that. That's really, I think where the name of God comes in, not just the, obvious of don't use it incorrectly or inappropriately. Um, now in terms of the Sabbath, I think this one's important, uh, especially as an academic, remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day, six days shall thou labor and thou do thy work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, thy God, thou shalt do not work on it. Thou shalt not, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy beast, nor the stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Okay, why is this important? So we say, we, you know, we summarize this one very simply and we say, okay, keep the Lord's day holy. What that really means is go to mass is what we say, right? So we go to mass. I think it means a whole heck of a lot more than that. Notice that God says, okay, for six days, you can work or you can work and do your work. That what you think is your work on the seventh day. You got to recognize actually that it's not really your work. It's like, who did this? Who, who made all of creation? I made all of creation. The seventh day is you got to realize that no matter how smart you think you are. Um, and this is why I say as an academic, I think a lot of times we say, oh, you know, in terms of science, look what I discovered. Look at what I did. There can't be a God because, you know, this is, you can't mix science and religion. That's such a, the biggest fallacy I've ever heard of. Um, how can you not mix science and religion? You, we don't discover anything in science. We, or I should say, you know, a lot of times we'll say, look at what I discovered. And we say, we kind of interpret it as look at what I created. Look at what I did. And the reality is, is I didn't make the Legos. I might've put them together and realized that the Legos can fit together some way, but guess what? The Lego maker already figured that out. I'm just discovering it for the first time. And all of a sudden I think it's great when they're saying, yeah, we know that you could have done that well, that's how we designed the Legos. But all of a sudden I say, look at what I did with them. And they're going to say, that's wonderful. And everybody else might say, oh, well, gee, Dr. Sam, well, how did you come up with that design? What did you do about that? I think it's the same thing with God in terms of science is we can pretend and say, look at what I created. You know, look at this microscope that came up. Look at this, um, you know, math equation that, you know, I, I came up with and I realized this and I, I went through the thought process. Well, the creation's already there. The math is already, it's all already there. God already made it. It's up to us to be able to discover it a little bit more to, you know, unearth it, to uncover it, but it's already there. I think this is where on God's day, we have to recognize, take a step back and going to mass partially is, um, recognizing that this is none of this is me. You know, God is the one who made all these things. God is the one who made the earth. I get to kind of play in it, so to speak, and discover what's already there. The other thing about the mass is, um, do I believe that I can save myself? Because why are we going to mass? I'm going to mass to rejuvenate myself in God and to 
recognize that it's the sacrifice of the holy, the representation of Christ's sacrifice on the cross every time there is a mass, every time it's the sacrifice, every time it's the representation of that, because I can't save myself. So if I can't save myself, I got to go to mass. Why? Because I'm recognizing that it's only through the sacrifice of the mass that I will be able to make it into heaven. That's it. Just like in the Exodus, right? As we get these commandments, just like in the Exodus, it was only through the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and consuming the lamb as a sacrifice that we can make it into heaven. That's what it is. So what happens if we break one of these first three commandments? So if we don't recognize that we don't honor God and we have graven images, if we don't honor the name of God and assume our titles are what's important, and if we don't keep holy the third day, if we don't recognize that God is the creator of all this and I am just a participant, um, and we don't give God his place, this is what's going to lead us to pride, which in the medical world is called narcissism. And all of a sudden, if I'm narcissistic, guess what? I'm all about me, my titles. I focused on, if I don't have these titles, I don't feel important. And guess what? Nobody else matters. I'm not going to be empathetic towards other people. I don't care about other people. I don't care about what their titles are because I better show off how much I have. In fact, to the point where I might even talk bad about other people or put them down because that might give me a greater title, right? And so all of a sudden we might not recognize this, but we might become narcissistic and really off-putting to other people. So we might not realize that other people are like, I don't really want to hang out with Dr. Sandoval because he thinks he's all that. You know, he just thinks he's he's all that in a bag of chips, as people say. And it's like, he's not very pleasant. I don't like the way he is. You know, he's always talking about himself. If somebody else tries to, you know, say what their accomplishments were, Dr. Sandoval jumps in there and says, oh, look at what I did. Well, look, did you hear about my latest uh, title? Did you hear about my latest accomplishment? And we don't give other people the appropriate recognition because we don't even give God the appropriate recognition. And guess what's going to happen once we're narcissistic? We're going to be in a constant state of depression because we're never going to be happy with anything. Unless we have the titles, we're not going to be happy. We're going to be insecure. We're going to be depressed and we're not going to feel good about ourselves. And God forbid we find good in anybody else because even finding good in somebody else makes us feel down. It's a terrible depression to be in. So remember the first three commandments, we want to follow those. We don't want to be depressed. More when we come back. All right, welcome back to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, it is a pleasure to be here with you so that we can think like Catholics, live like Catholics, and act like Catholics. Today, we're going to be thinking like Catholics by reading through the Ten Commandments, and we're going to be living like Catholics by seeing how if we don't follow these Ten Commandments that God has asked us to keep and keep in our mind and our heart, how that can lead to living a life where we might be suffering from what we perceive to be mental illness, um, and we might try to go seek medication or therapy or help, when in reality what we got to do is examine our conscience and see, are we following our life the way God wants us to follow it? So if you were listening to the last segment, I went through the first three commandments. Uh, you know, we break them down as honor uh, God, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, keep the Sabbath holy or go to Mass on Sunday. But as we see, it's much more in-depth than that. We simplify them, and it's nice to simplify them, to memorize them. But once we think about them, we really got to think about what it means in depth. If we don't follow these commandments where we focus on God as our God, where we focus on who God is and the importance of that, which in turn makes us think about who we are and how we are under a God, we are not our own gods, we can fall into the sin of believing that. We can fall into the sin of believing that we're our own gods, that we need to have all the titles in the world. We can become prideful. We can become very narcissistic. 
And that can lead to a continued depression that people cannot get out of. When people are narcissistic, for the most part, they're either depressed or they have a lot of internal angst because they're always searching for the next title. They're always searching for the next book to read. They're always searching for the next piece of information because they are never enough on their own. The reason that they're not enough is because we are not enough on our own. But if we focus that thought on realizing God is what completes us, so therefore I put myself under the submission of God and I follow God entirely, I give him his due justice and his due place, guess what? I'm not going to be feeling as depressed because then I know who I am. I know that I'm going to do everything I do and give it to God, rely on God, and praise God for anything good that comes out of it. And anything that I see as negative, I give it right back to God as Job did um, and think this is what really matters. This is what fulfills me is uniting my heart to the heart of God, not being my own God. So we want to avoid that type of depression, that type of narcissism, if we don't follow those first three commandments. That's why God's saying, don't fall into that trap. That's not how you were made. If you fall into that trap, you're not going to feel very good. Follow me. I'm the one who gives you everything that you need. All right, so moving on. So those are the first three commandments. Interesting that if we think about it that way, where we say, well, God is our father and I need nothing else and everything that I need, he will give me and it is good. It's important to look at the next commandment, which is honor your father and mother. Why? God's talking about himself as a parent, as a father, as somebody who uh, uh, made us and loves us and is gonna give us the good that we need. And right on the next one is uh, from chapter uh, 20 of Exodus, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thou mayest be long lived upon the land which the Lord thy God will give thee. So notice it's not just about honor your father and, and mother. There is something that comes with it. When you do honor your father and mother, you will have a long life upon the land which the Lord thy God will give thee. God blesses families. God gives families prosperity. And God. And if we look at the Old Testament, God gives you the land. Land is what mattered, right? So somebody who had land, even in today's world, we say we have real estate. People have multiple homes or things of that nature. We know that they are doing pretty well for themselves. There's a richness to that. God is telling us in the spiritual sense, God is going to give us plenty of riches. God is going to give us land. We're going to inherit that land from our families when we honor our father and mother. The same way that we recognize that God is... God and he made us and he has all the power and we cannot be our own gods. Honor thy father and mother is kind of like saying God put our mothers and our fathers in charge of us as many gods, shall we say. We joined in creation as parents. And so all of a sudden we are responsible as if God were there, so to speak, and we must give that good example. So I think there's a twofold commandment that we need to think about. If we don't honor your father and mother, we also have to think as parents are we being honorable as parents? Are we being parents that deserve to be honored? Are we following the way of God so that when our children see us, they say, I think I want to follow that, you know? And if we don't follow that, if we don't honor our father and mother, what happens? Well, if we're not honorable to our children, what happens? The family breaks up. And all of a sudden, if we break up the family, you break up society. There's no question about that. The society cannot function without the family. That's the way it was built. That's the way it was built by God. You got to have a mother and a father and children. And as families prop, prosper, so society will prosper. And what's going to happen? Why is that important? Because this is the first place that we learn love. The first three commandments, God was telling us, this is how you're going to love me. This is how we're going to form this love of bond for each other. I'm going to love you. You're going to love me. It is a type of wedding feast as we understand it, right? So again, we had talked earlier about how the crucifix is, the crucifixion is Jesus, then 
consummating his relationship with the church, the marriage of God and the church. We got to look at honor your father and mother because there is a consummation here between man and woman to have children. And it is the first place that the children learn love. Hopefully, hopefully this is why it's so important. And we're going to talk about in our conference on sex and honor, why it's so important that a couple be in love when they get married, why it's so important that they lovingly accept children from God. That's in the vows, lovingly accept children. There has to be love involved because Love continues to give, and the children are, this is the first place that they learn what love is. This is where they understand what it means to love and how to be loved. And from a medical perspective, from a psychiatric perspective, all of a sudden, this is how they learn how to be in a relationship. So if you wonder, are your children going to marry well? Are they going to marry into a loving relationship? Is that what they saw at home? Did they know how to get into a loving relationship? Did they see mom and dad love each other? Were they being honorable parents? Were they being parents that should be honored? Um, And did the children learn how to honor that relationship? If they did, they're going to want to repeat that in their lives. So what happens if we don't have an honorable household? All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of anger, resentment, wrath. We fall into these sins. These are sins, you know, we fall into the sin of wrath. It's a capital, it's a deadly sin, right? Where all of a sudden we want to separate ourselves from that family. We want to end our relationship with that family. We want to kill our relationship with that family because it was not a good place to be. It was not a healthy relationship. And you ask the children, would you ever go back and live in your parents' house? God, no. Now, you could say, Dr. Sandoval, there's a question of maturity at the same time. You know, would you go back and live with your parents? Well, no, you're mature. Sure. But then the question is, would you live there in your heart? Is that the kind of home that you're going to create for yourself? Or are you trying to say, gosh, I want to create a home that's nothing like where I grew up? You know, would you go back there really means, is that what you're going to recreate in your own family life? Well, you got to ask yourself, you know, is this the family? Is this the example that the parents are giving? Are they teaching love? Are the children learning love? Is it an honorable environment? That doesn't have to be perfect. There's going to be arguments. It doesn't have to be sugary sweet. We're human beings. But are they going to learn that even in the midst of trouble or arguments, that we are able to come back to each other and that we are able to apologize and make amends and repair the relationship? We're learning really in that family relationship how to repair relationships so that if we do have and uh, if we do falter away or if we do sin, we can repair our relationship with God as well. We learn how to do that as we live with each other. You know, this is really more of a metaphor of what it's going to be like in heaven where we have repaired our relationship with God and we learn that in the family. And this is where the honor your father and mother comes in. We don't want to end up with anger and wrath because that kills us internally. And that's where you end up with children who have poor self-esteem, who grow up into parents with poor self-esteem, parents who don't feel that what they say is important. And so why would their children listen to them? You know, people, um, children who feel that their parents don't listen to them. And so this is where you get that separation, that break, and then a loss of a sense of what it means to be a family, what it means to really be together, live together, living Catholic, if we don't think about the honor that goes into being in a family. So that's what's important. You don't want to end up with, you know, this sense of darkness in the heart, uh, because that too can lead to a depression, anxieties, insecurities later on in life when you're trying to build your own family. That can be very, very challenging to come out of. Notice that I said that a child might want to end that relationship, kill that relationship, not have a sense of family, or how many children say, gosh, I don't ever want to have a family because I don't want it to be like that. That's all I know. So we got to remember as parents, are we being honorable? Are we teaching our children what it's like to have a good family that they might want to repeat? Which if we move forward, it makes sense that the next commandment, therefore, is thou shalt not kill. 
we always think of killing as, you know, the murderous act that we see on TV where there's blood, guts, or somebody died in a tragic accident, or there's an immediate sense of death. And we look at the, the mortal death that's involved, but we got to go back to the book of Adam and Eve. So thou shalt not kill. And actually thou shalt not commit adultery. They kind of go hand in hand. Thou shalt not kill. Let's start with that one. Um, thou shalt not kill in terms of the snake told Eve, you're not going to die. You can eat of the fruit and you're not going to die. So he's already lying to her that she's not going to die. But what he meant was, he's, you're not going to die the physical death. You're going to grow older. But God said, no, you're going to die. There's going to be an internal death. There's going to be a death of your soul. And guess what? That happens, obviously, when we disobey God. But it can also happen if we've been exposed to trauma. How many times in families do I hear about, there was a lot of abuse growing up. You know, we go back, this is where we go back and forth between the fourth and the fifth commandment. There was a lot of abuse growing up. My dad was alcoholic. My mom did drugs or maybe there were no drugs. They just yelled at each other. They screamed at each other. There was physical abuse. My dad was beating up my mom or beat on the kids or the mom was beating up the kids or the dad. It happens. And so when we see this type of environment, we already see that there's a death there. It's killing the soul. It's killing the mind. It's killing the person, maybe not the flesh, but it's killing the person. And it can lead to killing the flesh too when the anger and the wrath gets there. Um, but we got to remember that thou shalt not kill. It's interesting that it follows honor thy father and mother because honor thy father and mother fosters life. And if that commandment's not there, all of a sudden we end up with post-traumatic stress disorders. We end up with abuse in the family. We end up with people feeling guilty. If you, if somebody did kill somebody for real, say they were holding up a bank or something like that, and they used a gun and they killed somebody, there's going to be a whole lot of things that the soul is going to go through, but that can happen without even that specific kind of death. So if somebody experienced a very abusive household, they could end up with um, what I end up treating in clinic is feelings of fear. First one is fear because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of being in a place where there was a sense of life or death. I didn't know when I walked in the door if that was somebody was going to yell at me or was going to be in a good mood or anything along those lines. Because of that, I always lived in this constant fear of potential harm. I could end up with PTSD type symptoms where now I'm always on alert. I can never relax. I don't sleep well. If I go places, I always got to see where the exit is. I got to sit with my back to the wall so I can see what's going on. I want, I just, I'm always on alert. I can't relax myself. There's a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, and some people will even get psychotic. You know, as anybody who's committed a murder in jails and things like that, when they start to recognize the gravity of their sin, they can actually go into a psychosis uh, potentially. Now, it's not very common, but I have seen it happen. Um, so it's interesting that do not kill can bring with it a whole lot of emotions. Um, this is also going to go into adultery because you're killing a relationship. And we're going to talk about more about how the fourth, fifth, and sixth commandments are really about life and not killing when we come back from the break. All right, and welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show, and I am your host, Dr. Louis Sandoval. So today we are talking about the Ten Commandments and how they can impact our lives, uh, not just spiritually, but in terms of our mental health and how that can affect us. Um, if you were listening to the last portion of the show, we were talking about Commandments 4 through 6, honor your father and mother, you shall not kill, and you shall not commit adultery. Um, and we were talking about how, you know, in terms of killing, sometimes we always think about the flesh, killing the flesh, making sure that you don't uh, use a bullet or a knife or a weapon or something to end somebody's physical life. But what we've got to remember is that we can kill the mental, spiritual 
well-being of people, whether it be the words we use, the way we treat each other. And we were talking about how in a family, when we're talking about commandment number four, honor your father and mother, um, we can either learn life or death in a family, depending on what the relationship is like. If we're coming from an abusive family, we're going to start to see death right? Internal death, because all of a sudden you can't speak, you can't say, uh, your opinion doesn't matter, things of that nature. Um, you know, when you're, when we say don't kill people, we say we have to use kind words or we have to create that kind environment. Are we doing that as parents? And when it comes to adultery or fornication, we are killing not just our relationship with God, but we're killing our relationship with our partner, right? What we're really saying is, like we said before in the first commandment, um, honor God. And we're saying if we don't, uh, God is a jealous God because he wants this exclusive relationship with us on an individual basis. When we falter from that relationship with God, it's like an adultery. It's like we are separating ourselves from that relationship and saying, I know better. I will find love somewhere else. And the same thing with an, adul an adultery. We have to look at the situation. Granted, the situations can be very complicated between married couples, and we have to ask ourselves, why did this adultery take place or under what circumstances? But it tells me that there is a death there. There is a lack of life. There is a lack of a unity in the relationship. And so these three commandments we can put under uh, commandments where we talk about life and death, you know, honor your father and mother. Is there life or death in the family that translates into life or death of the person and what actions they're going to take in the future, whether it be with their peers or with their spouse? And do we have a case of adultery, fornication or deviance in that way? What happens when we fall into any of these sins? There's going to be wrath. There's going to be anger. There's going to be feelings of guilt stress and anxiety that we feel that was not necessary. A lot of the, the people I might counsel say, you know, gosh, if I could go back and never cheat on my spouse or have been nicer to that person or never said anything or not pulled the trigger, I've yet to meet anybody who, who did that, but, or say, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have looked at pornography and I wish I wouldn't have looked at child pornography. I ended up in jail, you know, things of that nature. Um, they end up with a sense of, it was so unnecessary. It was so inappropriate. It, it should have never happened. Um, and so all this guilt comes in and now they got to rebuild their lives, which I hope that they're rebuilding their lives. That's a good thing. Um, but that is what can happen. And so how much of that do we treat? Obviously we want to, we can give medication for any of these things to hopefully alleviate some of those symptoms and support the emotions. But ultimately you got to ask yourself if it was based in a, in a sense of sin. Um, we got to examine that conscience and get to confession in order to do a true healing, not just a, uh, a medical healing of the mind and the body, but we got to heal the soul because that's what was hurt in this case. All right, let's move on to the next commandment. So interesting that commandments number seven and number eight, um, thou shall not steal and thou shall not bear false witness, right? So thou shall not steal, thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Uh, and those are verses 15 and 16 in chapter 20 of Exodus. Um, these two commandments are, I, I pair them together because in a way, when we commit these commandments, the first one, thou shall not steal, commandment number seven is pretty easy. It's just don't take anything that doesn't belong to you. So if it's there, if it's not yours, don't take it, right? There's no reason for you to have it. There's no reason for you to take it. Now, that's not to say that if I take something that, I don't know, you, there's food there and it was for everybody and it's going to spoil or go bad. Sometimes we might say, well, I took it so it wouldn't go bad. We might have different reasons why we take things that might not always be a grand theft auto case or holding up a bank or a jewelry store, but there might be a reason behind taking something that I don't know who it belongs to. we got to look at each case individually. But overall, if I know that something belongs to somebody, if we're going to talk about stealing as, as uh, 
in and of itself. If I know it belongs to somebody else and I'm going to take it, there's lots of reasons why I could take it too. I could take it just to upset the person, to make them feel bad for whatever it is. Um, and then bearing false witness is kind of the same thing. So in a way we are going to steal a person's reputation. You know, if I lie about somebody, I'm stealing something too, because I'm stealing their ability to live in the truth. If I start to gossip about somebody or make, or make things up and say, you know, I really think that I, I don't want to say, you know, I'm not trying to gossip. Um, but I, you know, I think this person is, um, you know, I don't know. They, they seem a little bit off or, you know, I think they're, I think they're here because they really don't like you. Now notice that I just said, I think, I don't know. I didn't verify this. You know, I gather it's called conjecture and that's a very, very big problem, whether it be at the workplace and the family life, anything like that. When we do something out of conjecture, really we're stealing from the person, their good name, their good reputation. Um, why, why, why make things up? Um, because it's going to make us look better maybe because we're going to uh, jump ahead. What if somebody told us something in confidence and we, they don't want anybody else to know. And all of a sudden I betray that trust in a way that's a way of stealing that trust and not, and it's not exactly lying, but it's breaking, um, the trust that they had in me. Right. So, and it can go back to, am I killing their reputation? Am I doing something along those lines? So these all go hand in hand. I shouldn't lie about somebody because it could be murderous as well. But really what we're saying is, uh, I want to make myself look better than this person. These could be sins of pride, you know, stealing and bearing false witness. I am better. I know better. I'm going to do better. And even though this is, might be what God, you know, says, or, or I, I know that I'm lying, but it was a white lie. I did it in, in confidence and good, in good faith. Um, Really, at the end of the day, it's because I think I'm better than other people or I know better and, and it doesn't matter what happens to them as long as I look good, as long as it looks like I have an answer or something along those lines. Now, when we fall into these traps of stealing, one, we end up feeling guilt. We, we end up feeling guilt for stealing things and people end up depressed and anxious because what they don't realize is as, they, as you start doing this, you know, what we'll, we'll do, um, you know, when we say, tell a lie, what do we say? We, it's the, uh, um, you know, you start a spider web of, of lies. What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. So when we lie, we start tangling, we make this big web of lies and we got to tell another lie to cover that lie and another lie and another lie. And the lies just multiply itself when the truth is very simple and just stands on its own. As we're multiplying these lies, we're going to have to keep track of these lies they're going to build and we're going to start feeling depressed and we're going to start feeling anxious because wait, what did I say? Does that make sense? Did I wait? And we're going to start questioning ourselves over and over, over these lies that we told, and we're not going to feel very good. And sometimes it can lead us into a depression or an anxiety because we're worried about how people see us, what people think about us. Did I say the right thing? Did I say the right lie? You know, things of that nature. So when we start looking at that, we can fall into this deep depression, anxiety, insecurity, not sure what's going on. I wonder if people like me at work. And then guess what? The lies get around and people start talking and they start realizing that you're the one who's spreading lies and then they don't like you. And then you get depressed because of that, because people don't like you. And in order to get people to like you, you might make more things up. You never know. That's just kind of the vicious circle of lying. So all of a sudden we get into this habit of, well, what did I say? What did I do? I need to backtrack. I need to make sure that's a lot of anxiety. That's a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress that that brings on versus if I just tell the truth, there's no stress associated with it. It's simple. Now the outcome might not be okay. I might've made a mistake and there might be consequences to that. Okay. Well, but if I'm willing to tell the truth, that's what happened and life goes on. Um, there might be consequences to it, like I said, but you know, the consequences might lead me to a different place, um, where all of a sudden I'm okay and, and I have to move forward. 
but we want to avoid that unnecessary depression, unnecessary anxiety that comes from lying um, and stealing. So now if I steal something, I know that I have it. And sometimes we can see how another person's life is affected by what we stole. And if you stole their money and you see that they're not doing well financially or you stole their car and now they're stuck or whatever it is, well, how do you make that better? Now you got to come up with the truth somehow if you want to, or how do you, do you sit there with your conscience seeing this unravel? That can be pretty hard to take. So, you know, these are the things that are going to lead to that depression and that anxiety that you might want to treat. And people will come to me and not, nobody's told me, gosh, I feel depressed and anxious because I lied or, or because I, I stole something that usually doesn't come up that way, but it's usually in the background. And so sometimes we're treating things um, for depression and anxiety and that people never get better. And you got to wonder why. And you got to ask yourself, is the treatment doing it well? Is, is this the wrong treatment? Should I have changed it? And sometimes things don't get better. This is where I sometimes tell people, you got to examine your conscience and see what's going on in your life as well. Because are we treating pure depression and anxiety that's clinical, that's just organic, that the brain is functioning there? Or are we treating life issues? You know, and if it's life issues, then we got to ask ourselves, what do you got to do for yourself? And those are important. And then let's lastly, commandments nine and 10. Now these are with covetousness, right? So uh, it says, let me just read it from the Bible. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, neither shalt thou desire his wife, nor his servant, nor his handmaid, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his. And so there, that's uh, verse 17. And we divide that verse 17 into two things. Don't covet the neighbor's goods. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, right? And so this also comes back, it's interesting, uh, from stealing and bearing false witness, it comes back to pride, right? I think I know better. I think I deserve better. I think that why should that person have that? There's an enviousness there, um, a jealousy, almost a narcissism that I need to have that title. I need to have that, that car. He has a, my neighbor has a really nice car. He shouldn't drive that. I should drive that. Now notice that this is not talking necessarily about stealing and it's not even talking about committing adultery. So we've already covered adultery in six. So uh, coveting that neighbor's wife does not necessarily mean adultery. Now it can lead to adultery, but it's not specifying adultery and coveting that neighbor's good is not specifying stealing in uh, commandment number seven. So it's separate from those, right? So we're not saying, oh, covet thy neighbor's good, covet thy neighbor's wife. No, this is saying in terms of, oh, that means that you stole it. No, it means this is now where we talk about what's going on in your mind and in your heart. And if in your mind and in your heart, you're always wanting something that somebody else has, it goes back to number uh, commandment number one. This is going full circle. I'm not happy with what God is giving me. So am I really honoring God and saying, thank you, God, for the gifts you gave me. Thank you for where you placed me in life. Thank you for the goods that you did give me. Thank you for giving me the wife that you gave me. Thank you for giving me the car that you gave me or the, the goods that I have. And thank you for, you know, working in that person's life as well, where they have, you know, a good spouse or they have uh, good material things. You know, thank goodness this is what you gave them. Sometimes we think, you know, the grass is always greener and then you don't realize what set of problems other people have. We always imagine and judge each other based on material things because that's what we see. That's what we see with our material eyes. But this is really telling us what are we seeing with our heart? What are we seeing internally? What are we coveting? So coveting happens in the heart. If I keep coveting other people's life, other people's things, their, their life, shall we say, their wife, their things, I think I'm full of pride and I'm going to go right back to those first pride and narcissism and depression that I'm going to fall into. And the best way to fight that to fight that pride is to say, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to realize, make God number one. 
It's not about me. It's about what can I do for God? It's about God gave me life. And am I appreciating that? So ultimately, when we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at mental health, if we don't follow them, we can easily fall into depressions, anxieties, wraths, anger, and it's not going to feel good. And you end up in the clinic looking for help for mental health, for emotional health. And really what we've got to do is evaluate our conscience, do an examination of conscience. And while mental health medication is good and it might support you, the best medication we can have is a good confession and going to the Eucharist. Hope you enjoyed today's show on the Ten Commandments and mental health. And until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval signing off from the clinic here on the Dr. Sandoval Show.